Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Like my whole life, had, like I broke up with the missus at the time and, you know, who then went on to be my proper missus. But we'd split up and everything because I had just become so obsessed with this single fact of, of getting to play with Ireland. Was it worth it? Oh, hell yeah. Shane Byrne spent many years playing rugby at the highest level. He played for Ireland over 40 times and Leinster over 100 times. He also spent a couple of years at Saracens. But all of that was probably a doddle after the gruelling few weeks he has just spent being hurled around the floor on the Dancing with the Stars dance floor. Shane was voted out just a couple of weeks ago and he has kindly taken the time to join me in the studio to chat about his Dancing with the Stars experience, his rugby career and adjusting to life after it. Andy Farrell and Ireland's Grand Slam hopes, the fascinating story of his grandfather, would you believe, and loads, loads more. What I wouldn't do to play with Tyke for know. Yeah. You know, and you, Porter. I'd nestle in between the two of them very, very happily. And Porter, yeah. Very, yeah. Oh, Porter is absolutely in the form of his life. You'd love to be in that Porter, oh. for, Porter Forlong sandwich. Oh, listen, yeah. very happily. Yeah. Squeeze me in there, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're filthy, you rugby players. Yeah. yeah. You see, your mindset is, from a professional player's point of view, is that what you were put on this earth to do is play rugby. And then it's gone. And you can't get it back. There's no way you can get it back. And that's that's a really hard thing to settle in your head. You know, it's about a kilometre or so down to the graveyard, but like rugby lads been rugby lads. We started to slag each other while we're carrying his coffin and Mick Galway's hair piping up <laughs> don't be don't be surprised if you see Anthony's foot coming through the bottom <laughs> of the thing kicking out at you fucking love that <laughs> you know do you ever feel slightly envious watching this team and going oh for god's sakes no absolutely oh you do Jesus rage of my jealousy oh, I'd love to be I'd love to be involved now like I'm an old man but like yeah. you're still in your dreams oh jeez I'd I'd love to be well, some people would Why the hell do you think I organise the Legends game all the time? My full chat with Shane Byrne coming up in just a couple of minutes' time. But first, in one of the biggest weeks of the year for people that love, um, well, a punt, Cheltenham. Um, that means it's also one of the biggest weeks of the year for gambling companies and those horrible little adverts. Um, as I think they are anyway, that we're subjected to ad nauseum. It reminded me of a sketch that we did around this time of the Euros last year. Fancy a flutter? Well, get on bet crack. Bet crack. It's betting on crack. Bet crack. Horse racing, rugby, tennis, football, number of corners, headers, blades of grass, clouds in the sky, referees' nose hairs. We'll keep you on the crack. And don't forget our special offers. Cockfighting in Thailand, ferret bingo, turtle shaming, frog wrestling, wife carrying, the next pope. The end of the world. Cash out option available. Anything goes. Get hooked up and get on. Bed crack. Simply attach the drip to your bank account and you're off. Quicker than the 2.30 at Catterick. Famous people are saying bet crack is great. So that's okay then. Football stars. I'm Steven Gerrard. Get on bet crack. Movie stars. I'm making a tidy packet. Leveraging the last remains of my likeable dodgy geezer character to get you on the crack. Thousands of people are on the crack and losing their arse. Bet now to avail of our Losing Your Livelihood special at 6 to 4. 
Listen to this human unit. I lost all uh, my pandemic payment, my house, my car, wife and kids have gone. But I did get a 20 euro free bet, so I'm sorted for tonight. Thanks, bet crack. And remember, when the fun stops, we start having fun because you're on the crack. Bet crack. Bet crack are mental health advocates. Always gamble sensibly. Bet crack will not define what sensibly means, ever. But we will mention a website in a really fast voice which you will never visit because you're hopelessly addicted to bed crack. Bed crack takes no responsibility for your addiction or this ad. And obviously that was a satirical take on those ads, but it isn't too far from the truth. Okay, so let's get straight to my chat with Shane Byrne. The man, the mullet, the mystery. (laughs) The man who was eliminated from Dancing with the Stars just a few weeks ago. Um, I dove straight into it with Shane Byrne about this great, great Irish rugby team. So I want to talk to you about it as much as I can. Yeah. Squeeze it in. Yeah. Are you playing in the Legends game this week? I'm organising it. So look and write I'm playing. And you playing? Captain. Are you playing hooker? Yeah. 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 I always wonder about that. The um, the the level of physical commitment mm. to that to the Legends game. Yeah. I mean, because you know you're broken. Yes. All like we're all broken. Yeah. But but Legends are more broken. Yes. And so there but, must be a sense of. I'm pulling out of this tackle. Uh, no, it's still bloody England. You know? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so does that last? Does it? Oh, it yeah. stays. You, you do want to yeah, get absolutely. one over on each like, other. This is a game that's played between the the old the old fogies. Yes, uh, England and Ireland. Fogies but it's England, England and Ireland. Look, the wild aggression that you would that you would have had, you know, in your playing days isn't there. Yeah. Particularly in this game, you know, it is what it is. It's a great excuse to get together and, and all that, but. The rules are it's uncontested scrums. Yeah. And rolling subs. Yeah. So therefore, if you're stupid enough to make a break, you can call for oxygen and get off the park as quick as you can. Someone else will come on. Yeah. But after that, it's full on. Yeah. It's absolutely full on. You can't give because you've got guys who are like me who've retired years ago. Mm -hmm. But you've got guys like Sean O'Brien and Devin Toner who've just finished. Yeah. And are still well able to do it. And that's not fair. No. Well, I mean, Sean O'Brien. perfectly fine. Sean O'Brien is a beast. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine that changing. Yeah. You're you're over 50, aren't you? I'm 51. You yeah. look great. Yeah. Uh, you do. You. You do. You do. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, trust What's your skincare me, it's routine? Not, it's not because of any attention I'm giving myself. Is it not? It's just jeans. Just, just lucky. Yeah. Just very lucky. Great to have a full head of hair though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Will yeah. you hold on to that as long as you... Will you keep that going now till you're super oh, well, senior? Like, as opposed to what? Like, you know, there's no other option. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Why would you get rid of a good thing? Mm. But yeah, look, the hair is the hair. I, I, everyone thinks it's a fashion statement or whatever. It's not. Mm. Like I, I'm. And now, of course, it's in fashion. Yeah. I, but the problem is, as I always say, when it goes back out of fashion, I'll still have it. Yeah. But yeah, the mullet is in. The mullet is a bit more harsher mullets than I have yeah. out there. But yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I'm a rocker at heart. Yeah, if, if yeah, I, yeah. If I had my way, I'd, I'd have my hair much longer. Yeah, your your mullet is more like a kind of an '80s rocker mullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd it's, be it's almost glam direction. rock. Yeah. Well, no, don't get carried away there now. There's no <laughs> there's no hairspray going in there. <laughs> <laughs> Come here. I want to ask you. I wanted to start because this 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 podcast will go out um tomorrow. Oh right, okay. Yeah, yeah so because, uh, talking about the Legends game is relevant. We can, might it, be able to get people to go. You can get people to go, but also talking about the the real the big game as well, right? Yeah. So and and not just not. I don't want to do punditry on this on this uh, podcast, but I wanted to ask you about your feelings about this 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 Irish team, mm. this unusually 
brilliant mm. Irish team. Mm. And we have had some great Irish teams before and you were a part of kind of almost the first iteration of that, the O'Driscoll, O'Gara, yeah. uh, O'Connell yeah. uh, iteration and you were part of that. And we thought that that's kind of as good as it could get. I remember when those guys were, were at their peak in, in, in seven and eight and nine and we were seeing th- players like Johnny Sexton even come on and Rob Carney and we were thinking, yeah, but this is the tail end of that. And then there was a second birth and a third birth. Yeah. And now we're in this third almost iteration of this so-called golden generation. And this is, these guys are something different. Yeah. Because mentally, they are different. Yeah, yeah you've got you've got it there. You, you've you've talked to me. You've about gone that. through it. You, like, look, we were very lucky at the time. Like we're almost like the forgotten few generations ago. Driscoll obviously spans a, a huge space of time there as well, but we were there. You could say from the beginning in two thousands almost like two thousand one on, not two thousand, that we started to beat teams regularly. You know, we started to not lose to the Scotlands and things like that, and and. And we started to beat England every now and again and we beat Australia, we beat South Africa, all these amazing results that we had. And for us, culminated in the Triple Crown in 04, which was fantastic. And um, But we could never, we, we were, the, where the guys are now uh, on Saturday, we were in 03 against England. We were in the exact same scenario, but obviously England came over and did it. Red carpet they, job. They, they were, yeah, they were, Amazing mm. that day, mm. and went on to win the World Cup. For people who don't remember, uh, Martin Johnson um, uh, refused to budge from yeah. his position on the red carpet, and yeah. uh, that, of course, laid down a marker for the the yeah. day that was in it. Well, yeah, it, it, it's actually it was gas that day because it it was a steward that just got it wrong, uh-huh. you know, and and pointed over to the wrong direction. So they all went over. Yeah, and of course, you know, by the they left there too long, and then we had we we were delayed coming out because of that. Yeah. And then because it was left there too long, he just, the belligerent just went in. Yeah. Like if they'd gone, oh, sorry, at the start, look, sorry, other side, there wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. But once the team had lined up, that yeah. was it. And you've got to hand it, look, the pantomime villain, there's no doubt about it. You know, we all love to hate him. And if you knew him, you'd have good reason. Yeah. But, um, but the, the simple fact is you can understand, you can understand it. There was no way he was going to back down. Mm. No way. Mm. And, in his scenario, he was dead right. Yeah, and I've heard some Irish players. I mean, I know you were a line as well, and I've heard some Irish lines. Yeah, previously remarked that he was one of the best captains they ever played under. Oh, now listen. If you tell anyone about this, I, I'll I'll murder you. But the um, if I, if I'm ever picking a world fifteen, he's the captain. <laughs> you know, it's a terrible, terrible thing it. to it's say. A, you've admitted it. Yeah, no. Well, like you, you promise now, you won't tell anyone because you'd follow him into the trenches. Yeah, you, you'd have no choice. And you believe in him as a like leader. If, if he's, you, a, he's a good leader. Absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely. One and of you've those, worked with like a lot of leaders. A, you've worked yeah, with the O'Connells and O'Driscolls. Yeah, no, and we've we've had some amazing captains ourselves, and uh, he would go down there as as one of the best. And his his aura was absolute and his control over the people in the park including the ref was absolute yeah. like they're they're the captains you mm. want the Richie McCaws except yeah. you know Paul O'Connell and, mm. and Brian's they they are those people but like if you think about it Martin Johnson in every single game of rugby he ever played ever played for club or country there were your sole mission playing against him was get him off the pitch okay because of his influence wow and no one ever did mm. 
You never did. Mm. I'm telling you, we kicked him every opportunity you got. You mm. did whatever you, you almost, could. You almost speak of a kind of a Roy Keane-esque kind yeah, of like influence. That you're just, you know, his influence is that much that you do anything to get him off pitch and you just, you're wasting your time. He was a hard, hard man, took everything mm. that was given to him and just led by example. And they were a great team, that 2003 team. Well, I reckon that that was their high point. It was, I reckon, yeah. I reckon that Grand Slam that they got in the Six Nations, that they were riding the crest of that wave to, to win the World Cup. That's right. I think they were the be- at the Six Nations, that was their high point. And this is what we're doing now, Shane. That's and that's plan. why I wanted to ask you, you follow yeah, on so my sorry. point, the mentality. Yeah, so that's the key to it. Like we've had some fantastic teams, the 9 side and everything. And look, our team was fantastic at the time. But this side, as you just said, mentally seemed different. They just seemed ruthless. And and that you know you have the likes of Keenan and and um, you know so many of the players that just it's like they've been there for ten plus yeah. years. It's like the seasoned internationals who have massive, massive, massive experience. Like Caelan Doris, he's still only a young lad, mm-hmm. but he's playing this amazing brand of rugby. And that's because listen, you can have the, the you can be the most physically perfect rugby player shape in the world, six foot four, eighteen and a half stone rip, fit, everything. But if your top two inches aren't correct, it doesn't matter. It, it, it Rugby is designed to weed out any sort of weakness. Mm. And what they faced last Saturday against Scotland would have freaked out a hell of a lot of teams. And one of the most telling tales I, I've heard right the way through this time was uh, Andy Farrell in the interview post interview was he was saying we were all kind of having a giggle going into the change room at half time going you know th- can anything else go wrong this is just outrageous the amount of things like two hookers second row number eight like is there anything else that could possibly go wrong but that shows where the mindset was they were having a laugh about it they were like right, well let's just get on with it whereas normally that single effect on a team would have it they'd be dumb to silence they wouldn't know what to do they'd be a rabbit in the headlights but this team not a chance mm-hmm. not a chance no. Van der Fleer went in stood in threw the ball in all the messing around the yeah. train over the years worked perfectly mm. and Keane Healy went into the front row and we got penalties yeah. in the front row it was just an absolutely <clears throat> amazing performance and that's the top two inches it is uh, I'm a big tennis enthusiast big sports enthusiast yeah, but a big yeah. tennis enthusiast yeah, yeah. and one of the analogies I could make was the first person one of the first people in sport um, to coin the term in the zone mm. was Martina Navratilova yeah and uh, she used to talk about this in the 80s, being in the zone. Yeah. And people were going, oh, this is the newfangled American sort of expression, you know, kind of uh, pseudo-technical yeah, expression. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she, they would say, what do you mean in the zone? And she'd go, well, you know, I, I can, I'm seeing the ball like a football. The ball is like a big football coming towards me and it's in slow motion. Yeah. And of course, she's describing this experience where we're in the flow and we're playing an automatic. Yeah. Um, and this is what this Irish team seemed to be doing all yeah. the time. All of them seem to have time on the ball, yep. loads of options, and to yep. play with a smile on their face. Yeah. It's joyful to watch. It's calm. But this is not Irish. Uh, well, I don't know. I think the development has been there. Yeah, you but know I'm just I mean? saying traditionally think, it's not Irish. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know what I mean? In the sense that like, it's not something that we're used to seeing. No. But you know what? I... I I almost caught you on what you were saying there earlier when you mentioned, right, these these are, it's another golden generation. Mm. I don't think it's that. I think we're actually there now. 
you know what I mean? That's what we're producing. Yeah. Yes, they, they will they will become exceptional for a while, mm. but I just think that that's the bracket we're in now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And like, yes, there'll be teams, that, they, like obviously a team can't go on forever, so we will, obviously other teams will come up. And we'll dip slightly, but, yeah, but, but be I, a, I don't we've know reached the standard. Yeah, think? I think that the standard has just risen. Yeah, is that yeah. if you want to play yeah. for Ireland now, you have to reach this. Exactly unbelievable standard that these guys are playing at. and the calmness is is just fantastic it is it's beautiful to watch and of course just to reiterate this whole the style that they play at the mm. the four tries average per game the, mm-hmm. the the offloading 12, 15, 17 offloads a game this yeah. joyful joyful rugby yeah. like jouer jouer rugby you know? they're, a, they're a nightmare for defences and you, you do the French thing there like that was back in the, the 80s and the 90s where they were absolutely outrageous is because the defence were so hard to defend against you, you just just didn't know what they were mm, going to do, mm. and this is what Ireland are doing. The the prop, freaking teams the, out. The prop has the ball, and yet he has three or four options yeah. every time. Yeah. And like, so do I go up to hit him? Do I do I hit the guy who he's potentially going to pass it to? Do do I wait? Is he going to pull the ball? And and that little hesitation in yeah. in your mind is that's all it is. Yeah. Johnny Sexton is the absolute master on it. When he has the ball right, he runs to the line. Okay, takes up so flat, and he has minimum of three options. Minimum, it's hit hit the guy flat on on the side, hit the guy on his inside, or pull it back, or go himself even, you know. And how are you meant to defend that when it's executed brilliantly? Mm. Which is that's the key. Mm. And and the whole squad are able to do this. Mm. We've seen Tyg Furlong mm. do it a couple of times. Mm. There's you an know? interesting. There's another interesting aspect of this Irish team among many aspects that are interesting. But one of the other as- interesting aspects that isn't talked enough about. And in fact, the media aren't really talking about it at all. Why? Because they don't know what to say. And that is Andy Farrell. Mm. Nobody knows what to make of this person. This person is ostensibly in charge of the Irish team. Uh. The most successful Irish team in the history of Irish sport. If you if you say that uh, beating um, an All Blacks in a series yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, there are other yeah, people yeah. who disagreed with yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yet nobody knows anything about Andy Farrell. And what I mean by that is nobody is digging on him. Nobody's kind of going, nobody's analysing him. I mean, everybody analysed Jack Charlton. Yeah. The gruff persona up and over there and here. And, and, and him and Dunphy was against him and we were half against him and half with him. And everybody had an opinion. Nobody has an opinion about Andy Farrell except that he seems like a nice guy. You played with him, I believe. Yeah, yeah. In Saracens. Saracens. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me anything about him, his personality, what kind of man he is? I mean, for example, some of our listeners might not know, he had a child when he was very young. Very. His son, yeah. Owen Farrell. Yeah. Who plays for England. Yeah. No, we knew them We knew them well. Um, we we lived in the same town, Harperton, over in uh, North London. Fabulous place. And we got to know each other very well. We lived in kind of each other's pockets because we both joined at the same time. And... Uh, he he's exactly what you see in the tin. He he's nowhere's or graces about the man. You gotta remember he's come from a scenario in rugby league where he's achieved everything. And I mean everything. He won everything. Mm. He was just an ultra so He's a world superstar in uh, his, Absolutely yeah. megastar. Okay. Like over in England and in, in, in world rugby leagues that world. Mm. His moving to rugby union was devastating. Mm. Like it was massive, massive. A hammer blow to the sport. Oh like. my god, mm. it was incredible. Mm. And um, so he came with that mindset, you know, down of of just an ultra ultra professional and ruthless to beat the band. 
but also he had this key which which would wrap it into the way it is now is that he he dealt with adversity head on because he had a horrendous year in his first year his injury rate was just incredible just freak injuries one of the ones was uh, he he got bumped in, in a car incident just jarred the, his lower back had him out for months just mm. wouldn't heal another freak one was um, someone a, a stud stood on his toe and it went down through the big ball point of your toe and scraped the kind of the, the soft bit off the joint of the toe okay so and therefore, any time it touched, it would never heal, and ah, oh, these crazy injuries. So, but he met all that head on, and just when he did get back, he he just took it in his stride and just kept going. So I wasn't surprised to see that this is the way he is going at it with this team. That this is the the mindset that he's. Uh, Where did the belief come that. from? It wasn't going well at the beginning for the team. No, but you you got to remember, like, he's he's been around for a while and he's done, what, two Lions tours now at this stage mm. and had success in them as mm. well. And, um, you know, he's no, uh, inexperience-wise, he's certainly no shrinking violet. Like, everyone speaks very highly of him. And when he was doing defensive, you know, defence training with the Lions and, and, you know, there's certain psyche with the Lions, you have to be, particularly in that role, you have to be very direct, because you have to just take control because every every team has a different setup and the way that they do it and the way they want to do it. So a defence coach in particular has to go, no, this is the way you have to do it. And um, so I'm not surprised at all to see that everything that has come, yes, it took a while to for guys to buy into, but that's that's just natural. Like you, you can't just click in. Like Joe Schmidt was under serious pressure when he mm. joined Leinster, and then when he stepped up to Ireland, mm. things didn't work out mm. brilliantly either. Mm. It takes time for the squad to buy into it. Yeah, in, but yeah, once it, they do, yeah, you know, it works like have. it is. Yeah. It works like it is. And in the world of in the world of radio comedy and in the world of gift grub, yeah. um, Paul O'Connell, of course, would feature very highly. And and of course, we yes. attribute a lot of the uh, the success purely <laughs> yeah. because I do him all the time yes. to to Paul's uh, influence. But there's yeah. also my cat, and there's also I don't know if you can comment on this. This uh, the guy who they often mention, Gary Keegan. Yeah. And do you know anything about? Can you anything about that area? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't as as much now at all. And then you've got Jason Cowan as well as in the strength Fit and conditioning. And you know what I mean? There, there's there's a whole team, and and for a team to be having the success that they are having, um, there's the whole backroom staff that have to be humming. Mm. You know, if you had any ripples constantly coming from yeah. a, a cog in that wheel yeah. that isn't working. What's the best experience you ever had in your life with any team? In, in terms of, you said humming there a second Yeah. Ago. What was the best, can you remember a period in your time? Oh, wow. Was it an Ireland team? Was it a Leinster team? Was it a club team? Was it a, when when you felt... Uh, yeah, we've had amazing runs with Leinster. Mm. Um, you know, when Leinster started to make the steps in the European Cup, like, yeah. we had huge runs. We never managed, I, I, I can't attribute to one of those to going that you would go right, to, that it was home rock because unfortunately we never got over the big yeah. semi-finals mm. or the finals. But we've had amazing like 12, 14 match runs, winning streaks, you know, yeah, throughout yeah. seasons, which which is absolutely huge. Yeah. But we did that in Ireland as well, um between O two and O three and then leading into O four. Yeah. We had a very, very long uh, winning streaks. Actually yeah. in O four, the only one we lost was narrow loss yeah. to France. Yeah. And uh, when we won the triple crown. Yeah. And in around that period we had as I've mentioned earlier on, we had some amazing Results like mm. the the beating South Africa in in 
Dublin was particularly yeah. one of my favourites because that's just South Africa w- would be my favourite team to play against because uh-huh. South Africa is they have plan A which is absolutely take you on a beach up and if plan A isn't working they'll do plan A harder <laughs> and they'll just get angrier and <laughs> they'll do it more at you and whereas your mindset has to be playing a team like that is just there's a line yeah. in the sand and then they'll you just know, throw bits of bison and venison yeah correct and, and let's correct to distract you yeah just just, just fresh but meat. like if you if you fight over every blade of grass mm. you know an old coach told me a long time ago when you make contact with a guy there's a blade of grass directly below you and he said when you finish your tackle you make sure that he's back over that photograph <laughs> and if you just travel with that mindset very good you know if that's the way and that's the way you you go against South Africa is just yeah. and like there was a time that's the time about the 03, 04 is going into that is that we genuinely felt that when we were having mm. a go at any team we could beat them did you do you ever feel um, it's honesty time now Shane no. do you ever feel slightly envious watching this team and going... Oh, for God's sakes, no. Absolutely. Oh, you do? Jesus, raging with jealousy. Ah, that's, I'd that's love cool. to be I'd love to be involved now. Like, I'm an old man, but like, yeah. you're still in your dreams. Oh, jeez, I'd love to be... Well, some people that. would... Why the hell do you think I organise the Legends I game know. all the time? Sure. That's to get my little glimpse back oh, at it well, and get good. back out onto the pitch I like again. that honesty. Yeah, absolutely. Other people I, would say, no, no, fair play to the lads. Uh, I wish them all the success and I had my day. Uh, yeah, no, well, I'll say, me arse to say in that, but <laughs> I will say... Um, uh, I do wish them all the success. I, I know, but I'm reveling. I'm rel- reveling in their success. I yeah, love it. Yeah. But oh my God, would you love to? Be, I'd love to yeah, play the game. Yeah. Now. Who would you love to be playing? I know this. It's like um, Cadbury's milk tray, right? There's, yeah. there's nearly every chocolate is beautiful, but <laughs> nearly every chocolate is beautiful. But but if you had to pick two or three chocolates from that Irish team, who would you love to be playing with? With just pick two or three chocolates. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, You're not allowed to pick No, I, I've mentioned them already. Uh, Keelan Doris. You'd love I to claim with that. It's just like, there's guys like that, Keelan Doris and Keenan at full back. Oh, yeah. And I'll give you little parallels now. It's yeah. a bit unfair to mention guys from my area yeah. in, the, in the same breath. But like, guys who you always knew that if they're, if if you want him to do one thing, you just know he's going to do it. Mm. Like, the Gervin Dempsey was a great example okay. um, at full back. In, in his, one of his greatest qualities was if the ball went up in the air or if the, uh, a back made a break, you'd know Gervin would either catch it or tackle it. Mm. And you just had to get there to help him. Okay. You know, you just knew there was no issue with that. That's fine. You know, uh, the likes of Anthony Folia or Victor Coslow. Mm. If you needed the ball to go forward, you just know they're going to get the ball mm. to go forward. Mm. Well, that plus, obviously, the modern game and, and unbelievable talents the, with the... Um, Killing Doris and Keenan mm. at full back. You just the two of them, like you just know that, you know, if if will or or want or drive is needed to do A, B, and C, you know they'll do it. But good answer. But when I said I mentioned chocolates, I was kind of you know kind of an assortment of these beautiful chocolates we have because some of the players that we have, yeah. uh, it's not unfair to say could easily be in any world team. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. and I mean, but you look at Van der Flair. Of course, World Player of the world Year. Player of the Year. I mean, Tyke Furlong has long been yeah. mentioned. But you look, uh, what I wouldn't do to play with Tyke Furlong. I know. 
yeah. you know, and you, Porter. I, I'd nestle in between the two of them very, very happily. And Porter, in, in yeah. Very, yeah. Oh, Porter is absolutely in the form of his life. You'd love to be in that Porter four, oh. Porter four long sandwich. Oh, listen, yeah. very happily. Yeah, squeeze me in there, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> all your filthy you rugby players. Yeah, but You're like, up. but but the, all I'd be thinking of is the. the the damage you could do with that, you know, mm. how aggressive you could be knowing that you can do your job yes. plus more, way more. Let's talk about yourself. And obviously you're, you're coming off the back. You're coming off the back of a great career. Um, you were part of that brilliant golden generation. The, the first one. Um, I, w- I want to ask you about a question that I think is I'm very interested in with anybody who's played rugby. And, and that's that transformation from being a player to a non-player. Mm-hmm. Um, from all sorts of sides of it. Mm. So there's the physical side. There's this change in your body from being this muscle-bound big person who eats a lot of protein to a person then who's going to be doing very little training and all this sort of stuff. I remember thinking about O'Driscoll and going, I remember everybody saying about O'Driscoll, Jesus, he's going to be one fat bastard. <laughs> because he already loved a burger. He, yeah, Eddie Ro- yeah. he loves an Eddie Rockets. Yeah, yeah. And everybody used to go like, he's always got a little bit, ch- not chubby, but pudgy about him yeah. but O'Driscoll obviously knew that everybody was saying that because as soon as he retired he went straight to the gym yeah. and watched his diet and now he looks absolutely amazing yeah, yeah. he's no, in he's great, great shape, shape. Yeah. And, and he's much slimmer than he used to be yeah. and probably much lighter oh, way lighter and then the second aspect of it of course is the mental mm. change all mm. those, that mental change that, that encompasses leaving a team leaving a bubble leaving everything being done for you and then that leaving the mental mentality as well of battle the the the, the kinmen the kin you know the camaraderie of battle together and having to go out and fend for yourself in the bad big world. Mm. So I wanted to ask you if you could tell me about your experience of leaving rugby and and how or if it affected you. Right. Well, it, 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 we'll have to skip around there a bit because the two, the answers to both of those questions using those two topics are completely different and would take a whole age to go through. But from the physical point of view. Yeah, like I, I enjoyed retirement in, in the sense that uh, physically I still train, I still go out and run every time. But like, yeah, over t- like I restricted myself for so long that I, I certainly I'll say no to very little. <laughs> and, um, you know, if I want to eat that, I bloody will. Yeah. And if I want to go out and tear, I, I bloody will. And tell what I'll deal with the next day. So, yeah, unfortunately, slowly your body changes from you know, as you were saying, this mass that's a weapon, you know, that was built to give and take damage. That's yeah. what, particularly a front row, that's, kind of that's, a wrecking what ball. You, that's what you're built to do. It's not about aesthetics. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> really? You could have been yeah, a size four that you were about yeah, aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, and, but then slowly you start to say, oh, right, that's where my muscles used to be. You know, that's the problem. And, and things start to sag. And so you do, you do start getting back and every now and again, you, you you do a bit of training. That's why I do these classic games and these these legends games and stuff like that because you do all of a sudden you're going, oh shit, this is three weeks away and I've done nothing. So you train like an absolute raven lunatic mm. for this time and you get... All yourself, your legends you games yourself. are like Rocky 6, 7 and 8. Correct, <laughs> correct. And you, you train and all, everyone's the same and you train like an absolute lunatic. Like the professional fitness stays with you for about nearly two, three years. Mm. You know what I mean? You're able to click back in very, very mm. easily. Right. But, um, you know, so there, and, you know, the body goes up and down. So like, yeah, look, we'd all love to have yeah. 
back to what we had before. And physically, you were you ended up okay, did you? Ah, yeah, no, yeah. thankfully, yeah, touch wood, nothing major. Yeah, yeah, short and fat, you see, I was okay. Because, <laughs> you, know? you know, you, you, you do see people, I mean, I think it's Keith Wood, maybe? Yeah. I think Keith Wood was saying at one stage, and of course, you were, you were on yeah, his team, yeah, yeah. and Keith was saying, um, you know, Keith was saying at one stage, I think that he couldn't put his hand above his head. Yeah. In poster time. Yeah, because he's, he, his shoulders have been done so That's often, right. yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I was I was lucky that I didn't um, I didn't get injured very often. What about your emotional? Um... Yeah, the journey with that was 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 different. Um, my wife, I'm sure, would tell you a completely different story to what I would have. But it's hard. It it it's really hard because, I lending into what we just said. Uh, I I always thought I'd get injured. I always thought that's how my career would finish. Particularly the the way I played and the position I played. I always thought. Something would happen, something would go, shoulder, knee, something. And then you go, look, you're, you're that age now, you just, you, you won't get back. And, I, and so therefore you're going to have to stop. And it just didn't happen. It never happened. So, you know, in my mind, the best professional player I ever was was the last game I played professionally. <laughs> you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I was fitter and stronger than I'd ever been in my life. And, um, you know, and and then it's gone. And you see, your mindset is, from a professional player's point of view, is that what you were put on this earth to do is play rugby. And then it's gone. And you can't get it back. There's no way you can get it back. And that's that's a really hard thing to settle in your head. It, it's a very hard thing. And in fact, it it never really does. You just it becomes a familiar pang that you just keep going with because, you know, the, there's so much of, the, of that lifestyle is, is fantastic. The competitiveness of it, the drive, you know, to see the results of what you're doing, you know. Um, the team. The achievement, everything like that. And that's not even talking about the fun, the change room. Like that's, that's a completely, uh, an added level to it because you can never get that back. You know, I've had um, so many, you know, I, I tried all sorts of sports when I finished. I, um, like, I, I, I thankfully, I, my body could take it that I was able to, I, all the steps up I took in the ladder going up to play where I did, thankfully internationally with the Lions and stuff, I made them all on the way back down. I promised I would to my local club. So I went from uh, professional down, I played a couple of years of, with Black Rock, then I went down and played a couple of years with Arclo, my junior club, and I even went back down and played with Ockram junior football mm-hmm. team, and made all those steps back down. And I couldn't. I tried triathlons. I tried adventure racing. I tried boxing. I tried everything just to recreate that buzz of the change room, and I couldn't get it. I couldn't. It wasn't anywhere to be found. And um, you end up. Always going back to rugby, and and maybe I'll play another season. I'm 43, but at the time I'll I'll play another season. I'm okay, you know. And you just you, you that's that's the problem, and and that's it's like a, a scratch you can never itch, and you know you can't you can't repair it, and it's just settling that in your head. Now, obviously, you have a new life comes on. I was lucky, and it was unfortunate. Another way is that I. I had the family business at home in the waste management game and um, 
So I was never totally away from it all during the years because the highlights of my rugby career came quite late, you know. And uh, so I was always had to do something with the business. But then, so I was lucky that I had something to go to after. There's many a guys who still haven't really found their feet, you know, even from my generation uh, after rugby. But then for getting your mindset changed, that didn't help because I had all these strings in the bows, put it that way, like they were all travelling at the same time and my the, the family business was part of what I was. But it was then the next day when retirement came, the main thing in my life was gone. And there was no brand new thing to go to. There was no new experience to learn. It was something that I already had. And it just, you know, there was just this gap that was gone and just absolutely couldn't be. Well, with that being pseudo-philosophical myself, mm. I mean... Try not to be that way myself, yeah. Y- yeah, but I can jump in there easy. Uh, did you ever talk to anybody? No. Mm. No. They, there's no need. Like, it, it's... My wife would said that um, she said that I because I thought I just got on with it and you know just kept going and she would say no you were in a dark place there for a while <laughs> and uh, you know I completely blissfully I suppose unaware of it mm. you know but like all you know I you know I suppose I don't know whether the cliche would sound that like you know typical bad I'd be grand no that's not it like I, I'm I'm very aware of what it was I'm yeah. very the reason I'm saying it is because you the picture you painted mm. has all the hallmarks of grieving well I don't know about that but like you lost you know, something yeah but I'm not but it's not something that like I was you know kind of oh geez, I, I don't know what's wrong with me you know what I, mean? I knew exactly what the problem was mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like, get on with it. You know, life is different. And is that what is that who you are as a person? Dust yourself down, get on with it. Um, it is what it is. Mm. It just, you know, some things you can't control. You know, you, you literally, you have mm. a, you know, you can't affect everything mm. in your life. You know, whether, you know, good or bad things, unfortunately, happen and you can't affect everyone. So sometimes mm-hmm. it just, it is what it is. It is, yeah. What, what about something like, did you drink anymore or did you? No. no. So it didn't, it didn't materially really affect you? No, yeah. no, absolutely not. Now, by nature, I did drink more because it was, I was Absolutely. free. <laughs> free and <laughs> easy. And <laughs> not afraid of putting on the couple of pounds. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Leinster and Munster. Yeah, Leinster and Munster. When you were playing, it was at its peak in terms of well, not well, it was reaching its peak in terms of its its rivalry. Mm. Was that was all real, right? And oh, yeah. and there was a bit of a resentment there, wasn't there, from both sides or an edge? I I no, I don't. Yes, an edge, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you know resentment's the right word because. Uh, there's very little resentment would come around from something that you think is unfair or mm. is people have got by, you know, some unfair means. But Munster deserved the mm. success. That Did they, they deserve having. the accolades that they received? Yeah. Mm. I'm trying to get somewhere because, with this. Yeah, but because they were achieving. You know what I mean? Mm. But that doesn't mean... What about mean, when Leinster yeah, achieved? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that we were happy about it. Yeah. We weren't flipping happy. But about you think it. Munster got more credit for achieving than Leinster got a credit for achieving? 
Yeah, most would say, well, they were the first, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes and no. I suppose the, the aura of the, um, you know, the aura of, of the the way Munster were and the team and the way that that was brought up, yeah, it was, it was a different aura that the Leinster side had when they started to get the success. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think there can be any argument about that at the moment. But when we were playing, like, we had a lot of success against Munster. But yet they would continue on the competitions we were also in. And they started to win in them. And they started to win the, the Cups. And, you know, that was something that, in truth, helped drive us on. You know, because if you ever need motivation, uh, it's um, watching Munster win the flipping Cup. You're like, jeez, you know, mm. we've got to get a bit of that. Mm. We have to start getting ourselves together. And, like, there's no doubt about it is that, you know, their success, your rival success is going to spur you on. And, you know, part of what drove that Leicester squad to what they achieved, you know, in the, um, in those, what, the late noughties or whatever the hell yeah, they call yeah. it, uh, was driven initially by the success that, uh, well, Ulster you could count initially. Yeah, that's right. Monster definitely, you know, were having and, and that's, you know, you, you, I suppose you would there'd be in any way you'd feel hard done by is mm. that if, you know, you go up to Irish camp and there'd be a heap of Munster lads there and you go, well, sure, what's his name is better than him? Like, yeah. He's only hanging on to But would that exist in an Irish camp, would it then, the little bit of edge? Uh, it would exist in the sense that uh, it wouldn't interfere in anything. No. But it exists on the bloody pitch in training. In training. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't you hit know, Rog too hard, on. though. Pff, my... <laughs> Absolutely, you'd ever go at him as quick as anyone. You we know. see, he was able to give it out as well. You see, oh yeah, yeah, Jump, yeah jumping yeah. over the fence. And I, well, listen, there's no problem, Rod. You see, like Peter Stringer as well, mm. like all of those guys. Like you're wasting your time, you know, just going after physically. Yeah. There's more to it than that. Sorry, there's a, you know that there's um, one of the features of this podcast, Shane, is that right. there are people listening into the podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, and be- oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And before <laughs> I tell, I, I tell a load of people that who's going to be on the podcast. Oh. And then um, some of them ring into me, and, and they, they still turned up. Yeah, they ring Jeez. into me, and they say, "I'll hang on, and I'll, I'll listen to, I'll listen into that." All some right. of them are driving around in their cars, right. walking around town, or whatever. Okay, I wasn't and, aware of that. Yeah, okay, that's brilliant. And uh, I don't have a life where I can sit listen to. Flip. Yeah, it's all right. And um, so anyway, one of them is on the line. Eddie O'Sullivan's on the line. All right, right. Yeah. And uh, I think he's copping on now. Okay, Eddie O'Sullivan's on the line, and he wants uh, wants a word. Yeah, say hello, to Eddie. How are you, Eddie? Yeah, how's it going, Shane? Um, really enjoying the podcast there and uh, you know just listening to your stories and circling the wagons and you know how difficult it is to fire a cannon when you're in a canoe um, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to see if you had any that makes more sense than I've heard you say but go on yeah I, I rarely makes sense but anyway uh, you're, you're bringing out the best of me um, just wanted you know locker room stories who, who like who, would, it, would it be Munster lads or Leinster lads you'd be you know your favourite locker room stories well, that's a good question, actually, Eddie. That actually is a reasonably yeah. good question. Who, who, yeah. who knocked? Who did you knock crack out of in the locker room? Um, or who? Let's say. Let's say. How, who were fun monster lads? Well, uh, can I give you a, go a slight diversion? That mm. is uh, the friendship with Anthony Foley. Yes, that was um, something that came out of the blue because I knew him for years yes. through playing against him AIL firstly with Shannon, and then um, again, obviously with Munster and Leinster. And then with Ireland. And like we knew each other well and we got on fine. There was no particular, you know, there was no major animosity or anything bar when we were playing against each other. Then it was absolute. 
And uh, but then we started. He retired roughly around the same time I did, and um, we started going on these classic tours and these legends games. And I got to know this man who I didn't know at all, as far as I was concerned. And the two of us, and he obviously had that same reaction as well. And uh, the two of us absolutely became great pals. And uh, we had fantastic fun going out. He's one of the most gruff guys. If you don't know him, you would think, oh my God, what is the story with this lad? Like one of, the, one of my favourite ones was we were over in Bermuda, which isn't the worst place in the world to be. And um, we had just won the competition. Anthony was captain. And we were in the bar afterwards celebrating and it, it's not the earliest hour in the morning. And Anthony, and he would do this in your company or anyone's company. He was sat in the booth drinking and Anthony would happily sit there and not say a word the whole flipping night and have a ball and just think everything was brilliant. And um, the he was sitting there and he, he just happened to be surrounded by four of the English lads who were on the team. Hmm. And they just sat there and they were including him in every round. And when it was his round, he'd get up by the round and get down and sit down. And he never said a single word to them. <laughs> Not a single <laughs> word. So much so that you could see them starting to get uncomfortable. Yeah. With it, yeah. you know, because they were doing a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and he'd be, he wouldn't join in. Oh, not at all. Yeah. And uh, eventually, myself and a guy called Len Deneen, uh, who's the other guy who organised the the legends here with me, we were laughing. Our, we were sitting at the bar looking at this happening, and we could see the guys getting more and more on edge. Mm. And uh, eventually, one of them came up. Dan Scarborough came up, and he went like, "What story, Anthony?" Just. Is he upset? We we won, we won. Like, what's the problem? And uh, you know, he's like a briar over there. He said, "No, he's not. He's having a ball." He said, "Look at him." And then Anthony's just scowling, like not saying a <laughs> word to anyone. And I went, "Hey, Axel, everything all right?" He's having a ball, Munch. Having a ball. <laughs> that was the first thing he'd said to them in about four hours. It was absolutely fantastic. And was it? Was he doing it to to freak no, them out, or just that's just he would do that with anybody? Yeah. We do it Sits anyway. there quietly in his own... Happy, happy house. Ah. You know what I mean? And just no issue would. And then if he, he would chip in every now and again and stuff like that. But like, he was perfectly happy. You must have got an awful shock. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, oh. I don't mean travel down this line. Where, but, uh, yeah, where were you? Geez. Where were you? Or? I was at home. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. Yeah, no, it was um, Yeah, it was something else. Yeah. It was, you know, when the news comes out, it it's just one of those ones that you just have to check everywhere. You know, and like I even rang his phone, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. just he's like, that can't be right. That can't be right. And yeah, incredible thing. Yeah, absolutely. But the the strength of his family, the 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 ripple effects it had all around the world, you know, and literally it was all around the rugby world was it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. And that's that just shows the, the respect the man had mm. and what he had achieved in his rugby career and what people thought of him. Yeah. And then the. The way the rugby war came around the family and and the the funeral was was just an incredible emotional thing, and um, you know there were a lot of you'd see tough old rugby players share, shedding a tear that day, but one that one that, but very much the the rugby guys like carrying the coffin down and we'd swap every now and again and 
you know, it's about a kilometre or so down to the graveyard, but like rugby lads been rugby lads, you know, and this again goes back to the fun and the crack we used to have. We started to slag each other while we're carrying his coffin, mm. you know, and, and I think at one stage there were four Ulster lads carrying his coffin and Mick Galway's hair <laughs> piping up. Lads, don't be don't be surprised if you see Anthony's foot coming through the bottom <laughs> of the thing kicking out at you fucking love that <laughs> you know yeah and uh, that's great. what was the other one that's Jesus like, I love that yeah yeah that's really fucking oh, like, it's just scenario, the best no yeah. but it's the best of being Irish yeah absolutely and I mean that, that humour yeah, just, just, just the darkness yeah the willingness to go there yeah and the knowledge that it'll be taken Oh yeah, absolutely, mm. and that everybody is on the exact same hymn sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's real. You know, you always hear at the rugby family, but like you know, for me there is that. I mean, look, it's same in so many different sports, but uh, rugby to me that's one of the main attributes because there's so much respect and discipline and everything that comes with it. And there's no that's the if you want to excel in it, that's the way you have to yeah. be. That. Um, you know, when something like that happens, it it's no skin off guys' neck to go and support and yeah. show support. I remember I, I was very close with um, Tony Fenton, who died yeah. in twenty um, in twenty fifteen, yeah, yeah. and very close with Tony. And it's funny because I haven't really lost anybody like that who, who's so vital, so alive, and yeah. so kind of friendly with. Um, and I, I find I keep all his, obviously his number, but I keep all his texts mm. as well. And I, yeah. every so often I look through his texts because yeah. I keep people's texts because I find people's texts are very funny because you can almost keep a dial, almost keep a record, record of your yeah. relationship almost. Yeah. And funny things that you might have said yeah. in texts, you know. Yeah, no, I have all that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And sure, look, you know, recent experience for me with the with the dancing. Yeah, and uh, we did the tribute to Anthony. That's right. And uh, yeah, like that. That's you know. Yeah. It was, was that emotional for you? Oh, I mean, yeah. you you definitely unexpectedly so unexpectedly crept up on because, you because yeah because look I wouldn't be the most emotional person in the world but mm. the um, uh, the there were there was no relegation that night and everyone was saying to me like and the, the team and all the the VTs the little. Foxpots bit you'd be doing to the camera. They're like, oh, so the pressure's off. There's no thing. And I was like, no, the, the pressure is worse because Anthony's family's there. Yeah. You know, I, everyone else, like they're doing it for their, yeah. you know, very indifferent people. I'm not yeah. saying mine was more or less than theirs. But I know the, what you mean. But, you know, I wanted to get this right. This, this, you know, the steps of this thing mm. correct. And look, as I said on the night, I don't know what the hell Anthony would have thought of me doing a feckin' dance for him. But like, there you go, as a thing of respect. But the simple fact, when it did and it went right and they started to give us compliments stuff that, yeah, it was it was a difficult thing to contain. In a world of, um, a world, the world is very grey at times. And I, and I mean, you don't know what's right and what's wrong. And mm. you don't know who's right and who's wrong. And you don't know who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth. And we live in a post-truth kind of era. Sometimes it's the same person, yeah. Exactly. Mm. But one of the most, that's, that's what makes sport sometimes so beautiful. Yeah. Sport is beautiful because we see who's right and who's wrong yeah. and who's winning and who's losing. And we see the truth come out. That's what yeah. makes sport very interesting. Yeah. And sport can be, uh, you know, can, sport can, can, can bring out emotions that you never thought were there within you, um, like creep up on you. And mm. that, that happened to me the night in um, Chicago when the figure eight was made by the Irish team 
on the night we first beat the mm. All Blacks. Mm. And I remember the odd person sort of saying, you know, it was like as if his bloody ghost was there, like when they made that giant yeah. eight. It was like as if there was an extra kind of yeah, but, thing going on. But like beyond their no illusion, like that would have added to the players mm. want. You know what I mean? It, it did have the effect. It, it did, you know, that would have spurred on those guys. Because they be played with a huge freedom that night. I think they, they weren't going to be beaten that yeah. night. Mm. It was incredible. Yeah. It was absolutely incredible. And like when you're in that whatever the hell, you, mm. the purple zone, whatever the hell you want to call it, you know, that's, you just need to get to that point. And like that's where, you know, when I used to get ready for games, like we, it, the focus was to me, loads of guys did it completely differently. You know, like Paul O'Connell was a talker. Brian Driscoll, not so much. You know what I mean? He'd say the right things at the right time. You know, Paul would be tr- getting up and gritting teeth stuff. And uh, Rog? Uh, Rog? Rog would be going around giving instructions to the right people at the right time, making sure everything is, is correct. Um, I would sit down and just battle inside my head, you know, just make sure going over the things you do, to do but going over the actions of, of aggression in your head to get your body going to get your mindset exactly right so that when you do one of the hardest things in international rugby is the is the anthem because you got to remember you're you're ready when you leave the change room and then you've got to go it out stops st- you again yeah mm. and like that's why you see emotions like the amount of times like okay we've seen loads of examples of it and back in our day it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been you know too many people doing it but trying to contain the emotion during an anthem is is unreal. Mm. Like it's it's an amazingly, for such a public thing, it's an amazingly, I don't know, lonely, isolated. I don't know what the right word is, because it's just you. You're only inside your head, and you're struggling with all these things. You mm. just want to get on with it. You have the nerves. You have the bubbling up. Like you know, you want to make sure everything goes right, and you've got to sing with this anthem and go through, which is fantastic. It's not mm. anything. I'm not. Dissing it at mm, all. Mm. It just takes you out of it takes you out of your preparation. Yeah, mm. well it, it just you have to try to make it part of it, you know, so that you, you, you calm it down for a bit and then you bring it back up again. Like the so Bull Hayes in two thousand and seven. Correct. Absolutely yeah. crying his eyes out. Yeah, and that like that's Park. he just wouldn't have been able to contain that. Literally that just would have bubbled out of him. He, yeah. there was no containing that. And like we've all felt like that. Like mostly you see would be a guy singing away or something or at the end of it and you see them put their head down and that's them grabbing a hold of it again yeah. because it's about to spill out. Yeah. That's why the All Blacks have a, an advantage on us all. Yeah. Because they don't do any of this getting ready in the change room. They don't need it mm. because they come out very calm because mm. they have the hacker. Mm. They have that. That's all that's they right. need. And like it's 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 a it's emotional it's an emotional roller coaster all the way during games and during before games yeah. trying to get everything right, yeah. just so that moment when yeah. the whistle goes that yeah. you're ready. And no wonder players and sportsmen in general are are superstitious. Yeah, yeah. You Do want you know, things to be the same. Yeah, same all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we in my extensive research before this interview. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like myself. Yep. One of the things I read was. Um, uh, I think it was attributed to you was that was was talking about some of the Leinster teams in the past and how they had many different players from many different regions of Leinster, mm. and um, you could have a fellow from Ockram and you could have a fellow from Tip and yeah, or not Tip but uh, uh, Wexford. Yeah, and, not Tip. Yeah, not yeah. Tip. Sorry, no, not great geography. No, there. no, no. Sorry. No. Yeah, uh, and Wexford and all that. And now it's I suppose it's it's changed a bit now. You know, 
Oh, well, no, like there, there's there's still plenty of guys from down the country. You know what I mean? Like the, it, we got the name of being the D4, you know, crew when we started to do well. But, uh, mm. you know, that that's we were christened that. But like it's, um, you know, there were always there were always a, a lot of, you know, Shane Horgan, Deck O'Brien, you know, myself mm. were always very much from the countryside and, and actually, wanted um, to be that way. Actually, speaking of the countryside, um and, and Leinster, Rob Carney's on the line. Would you like to say hello to him? <laughs> yeah. Say hello to him. Hey, Rob, how you doing, man? Hi, Munch. It's good to talk to you. Um, I, I'm really interested in this conversation because one of the problems was I had to put on this accent the whole time um, playing for Leinster to kind of fit in with all the D4 boys. Whereas I'm from, you know, the Cooley Peninsula. I'm from dairy farming. I'm a herd of cattle, basically. <laughs> so I'm just really pissed off that they never... You were probably one of the only persons that got to know my real voice. Yes. Which is like, how's it going, Shane? <laughs> Heading up the drive. It's, it's such a great honour to be able to speak to you on the old podcast there. <laughs> it must be so nice wow, just sh- to release it. It's amazing, Rob, to hear you do that. Yeah. It's great. It feels good. I'll, do you want more? Absolutely. Give it to us. Oh, go on there, Shane. Let your hair down there now in RD there. <laughs> Jesus, you're even sexier doing that, Rob. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah, but man, you had to put man, on that. Take that time to call in. You had to put on that voice. It was terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Tell me the story. This is amazing. You've got a brilliant grandfather story. Your grandfather called Jim Hanlon. Yeah. And this is a great story. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing story, to tell you the truth. Um, so... He was one of the head surgeons in Dublin, working out of the Iron Air Hospital. And um, he was uh, eye-trothing, no Nose, surgeon. Yeah. And uh, so he was he was operating on somebody's throat and they coughed. And a tiny little bit of spittle got into his eye. This is back now in the 40s and 50s and things like that, or even before. And um, so it got a little bit infected. And uh, it 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 wasn't going well. They couldn't get in under control with um, with uh, antibiotics that were available at the time. So he went over to England. Obviously, been as eminent as he was himself, uh, he could get good proper treatment. So he went over to England and uh, was getting treated over there. And what happened was this is now after the war, obviously, and. There was a new drug on the market called streptomycin, yeah, which is a, a a very very important antibiotic, but it was only on the market, and uh, so what they should have given him was one tenth of what they actually gave him. Okay, they gave him a ten times overdose, right, of it. So what it ended up doing was messing his system altogether. So the infection spread to his uh, both his eyes which made him completely blind. Mm. And as a side effect of the drug, it killed his hearing. <laughs> so in the space of, uh, what was it? I think it was about six months. He went from being an absolute, you know, top surgeon in the country, four young kids, uh, top of the world, socialite around town, to being blind and deaf and completely reliant on everyone else in the rest of his life. Yeah. So obviously he went 
back to the house, which was an absolute nightmare for him. And um, he was a man that had huge faith. And uh, he was brought to Lourdes to see could he, you know, pray for a miracle to happen. And uh, unfortunately, the miracle didn't happen. But he went down and he, he bathed in the baths there. I don't know if you've ever been. And um, he came out of it with a renewed uh, attitude. So he was just going to get on with the rest of his life. And he wasn't going to wallow in, you know, which must have been an unbelievable. Like to, you could imagine the simply the, 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 the silence and oh, yeah. been locked in. But anyway, I don't know how the man did it. So he came back and he st went back to study and he went on to become the first ever blind and deaf fully practicing physiotherapist in the world. And he continued his life as if nothing had happened. He uh, still played golf, which is ridiculous. He was a scratch golfer. So my the only way you could talk to him is, is through sign on the hand. Yeah. So she would bring him, they played out in Port Marnock and they, she would sign, you have a seven iron in your hand, yeah. you're standing, remember the bunker to the right hand side of the fairway, you're 110 yards away, I'll line you up in yeah. front of the ball yeah. and away you go. So listen, I'm not saying it was any good or anything, but he used to do it. Wow. He started making golf clubs <laughs> and just with his hands. See, what happened was, was that when he came back from Lourdes and he changed his mindset, his, his sense of touch went absolutely through the roof. Yes. And so he was able, he used to make these golf clubs. In fact, we have a, we have a, a great golf club at home called The Dock, we used to call it. And it's a wood, which back then it, they were made of wood. And you can see, you know, the way the face of the old clubs was basically the, the hexagon, you know, with the crosses for grip. Yeah. And you can see where he started wrong. He, it, there were lines up on top of it too far up yeah. and you could see where he felt it and corrected himself yeah. Yeah. and then made the, yeah. the perfect club and um, he he continued diving no way he used to go Eddie Heron diving Eddie Heron was an Olympic diver that Ireland had and who was a great pal with his and he used to be the 40 foot down in yeah. uh, Black Rock Baths and uh, he used to dive off the the two of them used to dive off the, the Black Rock Baths and Eddie would just touch him just before he hits the water to know to close the hands out yeah. in front of his head. Yeah. You know, could you imagine like going in? He was a fantastic swimmer, so there was no issue with that. Like he was a proper sportsman, and um, and then he went on to uh, helped help um, form not the Rotunda, one of the other hospitals. I can't think of it in town here. And back then there was a, uh, a quick story with there was a huge. Um, Oh, polio outbreak yes. in Ireland in the late 40s, 50s yeah. and uh, he was a physiotherapist because a lot of polio was yes. easing out That's the locking right. of, of joints and everything like that and he um, there's a great story where his his friend came in to visit him and uh, you know obviously he can't, can't see, can't hear and the friend would come in and one of the first things that apparently that goes with polio is your gait, your walk, your stride changes he heard or so he felt him felt the vibrations yeah and he he rang he said he said to his pal will you ring it was, it was a lady he said will you ring the such and such hospital here for me I just can't see the thing and um, so they did and he, he said uh, this is Dr. Jim Hanlon uh, in here I'm sending my friend down to you now the friend who's standing beside him and she's like what 
And he says, yeah, uh, she has polio. So she needs to get in there fast. And he was right. Wow. Yeah, absolutely incredible. So he he went on, like he, he got, um, like his, his impression he made, you know, from fundraising for the National Council for the Blind, um, like his his death was mentioned by the Pope on paper radio, you know little Is things. Your like mum's dad or dad's dad? Yeah, mum's dad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That must give you some some inspiration. Yeah, he would have been very much so, like because his his wife, my granny, uh, would have been very important in my life, very. And um, she died in 1990, and uh, but she would have. This is this is the wrong way of putting it. Like it's not fair, my parents. But I would have spent a huge amount of time with my granny. Similar here. Yeah. Same here. So I would have like when I grew up with my granny. All right. Yeah. So I essentially did as well. Like so, the uh, middle child syndrome. You know, it's just kicked out, mm. and um, and she would have huge influence on my life. So obviously, the stories of him were were very important. So. I didn't have to go very far to mm. look for inspiration yeah. in anything. So, like, if anybody was, you know, if there was any kind of adversity facing you, like, you're just, uh, like, that's not adversity, you know. Of course it's not adversity. You know, like... It, Did you ever feel even more positive about it? Did you ever feel, you know what, I'm facing adversity, but I've got something in my locker here. It's in my heritage. It's in my genes. In my locker, I've got a granddad who was blind and deaf I went through this. Well, no, that's the first time I've ever heard it put like that. No, I maybe, you know, my attitude, like, I don't know, my belligerence or whatever, <laughs> you know, came from it. Because, like, there was a lot of time as, as, you know, not to be jumping back, but in the rugby, there was a lot of, a lot of time in between when I got going in rugby before I got my, my international cap eventually, you know, luckily. And, um, there was a long time in there where I couldn't, just couldn't make the progress. Mm. I thought I should, you know, probably silly, but, uh, you know, and it was just pure belligerence, pure. Keep you know, turning just, up, keep yeah, going to work, yeah, keep working. Yeah, there was a weak moment once, I remember. Um, there was a, an old coach of ours, Joe Mack, uh, Joe McDonald's, some people might know of him, and uh I remember they in the very late nineties they were making us change throwing from one handed. Yeah. We all used to throw one handed. Yeah. And then this two handed style came up from the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. And of course because Everton in the Southern Hemisphere at the time was brilliant, yeah. <laughs> we then had to do it. Yeah. And I was thinking like I was a pretty good thrower yeah. one handed at the time, so it was been we were forced to change it. So I remember being um standing the in the down in the rugby club practice and trying to perfect this technique to bring in this other hand and make it start working and I was totally pissed off again I'd been in my mind I'd been leapfrogged by someone else and out of the squad again and back in like I first got in the air squad in 1993 mm. and this was like you know this was late 99 and I, I think the World Cup had happened I wasn't in it and you know, anyway, thankfully it was a shitty woe, World Cup. Yeah, the woe is me was there, and that was the 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 issues. And so I, Joe Mack came along, and I was effing blind and going, "God, oh, this is ridiculous!" Like, and I, I said to him, "I'm genuinely thinking of quitting here. I, I, I've had enough. I just can't do this. I have the family business at home, and uh, I just, you know, I can't keep. You know, I was playing with Leinster that whole time, playing what I thought well, and." Uh, and, 
the Joe Max said to me, um, he said, what's the one thing you want? What's the one thing you want? And I said, I just want to play for Ireland once. I just want to wear that green jersey and go out there and get a cap. That's all I want. Well, he says, well, there's only one thing for sure in your life going forward. He says, if you quit, you'll never be fucking capped. And there was a lot more expletives than that. And I don't know how PC your your podcast is, but he then... I've already said fuck, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So he he walked away and it was like a a, a light bulb moment in my head, just going like, what the hell am I... You know, what am I... What am I doing? What am I talking about? So I stopped worrying about all the things I couldn't control. Stop worrying and just concentrate on making myself as good as I can possibly be. If, by chance, opportunity knocked. And, uh, you know, and thankfully within a year or so, opportunity did knock. And uh, glad I listened to that guy. But like the... You so know, when you won your cap... Yeah. You were in a position to really appreciate it. Oh, God, yeah. Okay. And now that you're in that position, it's nice to ask you this question then. Is there a kind of a little ceremony that you go through? Does somebody hand you a shirt? Does somebody hand you your... Do you know, I mean, in your yeah, case... no. You get a cap. So at the at the dinner after the game, like mine was a real glamour fixture, Romania away. <laughs> the, um, the, the, it was actually, there's a typical me, there's no nothing straightforward. I was getting married six days later and I was in Romania it's a great place to be when your wedding's getting organised at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was also my stag. <laughs> there were about 20 of my pals over. For the on, tour? On my stag. Having my stag while I was in the hotel. At a match? Waiting to, to play be, the game. To go on your stag? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So they, they were, listen. That's great. Typ- typical. But yeah, so happens. What happens and so was, did you do your stag in Bucharest? Or? Yeah, so basically they were over from the Thursday. So I played the game on the on the Saturday. Thankfully, I was on the bench. Thankfully, I came on. Amazing experience. And uh, so I did meet up on that night because the award ceremony you're talking about is the dinner afterwards, after the game, you get presented with a cap, an actual physical cap yeah. with, with, the, with the date on it and things like that. And, uh, and that's your precious cap that everyone talks about, yeah. your first cap. Okay. So there is a physical cap. And then and the, the tradition the tradition in the rugby terms is that uh, you basically get toasted by every team so you have to drink whatever they're drinking. And so you end up in a lovely, lovely mess <laughs> which is good fun. In and, a jocker. Yeah. And uh, and then the next day I got up to, to have start the real my, drinking. To have the remains To start the real stag. drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's that's the, you know, back to the, the grandfather bit. Like, yeah, there was... There was a certain single-mindedness I had to have, I suppose, to get to the point. So much so that, like, I'll always remember it caught me on the hop years later when we retired and uh, Mal Kelly, we were doing a and a and we we were talking about this exact story and uh, getting the first cap and I said, they asked me, yeah, were, were you relieved? And uh, I went, oh, gee, bloody right. And then Mal Kelly jumped in and he went, would you, he said we were all relieved when he got capped because he was an absolute bloody nightmare. Because I was, ju- I become so single-minded. Yeah. Like I was running the line-outs and the scrums. I was just, I, I become an absolute nightmare, and I was oblivious to it. 
Like my whole life, had, like I broke up with the missus at the time and, you know, who then went on to be my proper missus. But we'd split up and everything because I had just become so obsessed with this single fact of, of getting to play with Ireland. Was it worth it? Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't change a thing. That's, I'd, lo- I'd love to say I could go back and change one or two things and change my bloody attitude, uh, you know, and got capped earlier. But then would I have played as many times as I did? Would I have had the experience I did? I don't know. And in a funny I wouldn't so- take that risk. And in a funny sort of way, actually, because we, we started talking about this current Irish team and we'll probably end talking about this current Irish team. The, the honour and pride they're bringing to that jersey now bestows uh, the pride that for everybody else that wore it in the past as well ah yeah but like that absolutely like we all we all are very aware of the past of the jersey you know what I mean it's not something like when you come in after after doing your warm up and um, again getting ready for that that um, mindset you, you don't warm up in your jersey you come back in and you put your jersey on and that's a real lock-in moment. Yeah. You know, when you see it hanging up there and you take it down and you put it on and that, that's you're locked in now. You're you're ready to go. I always find the, um, I know you played in a controversial Lions tour, but I always find the uh, the presentation of the, the Lions jerseys yeah. pretty special as well. Yeah, you know, and they make And they make it special. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's, like, I'll always, one of the Lions, one of the Lions in L-I-N-E-S that was said to us that, uh, when we landed and they said now for the rest of your your life you're a lion Mm. and that can never be taken Mm -hmm. away from you and that's you know that was a spine tingling moment you know that was like it is it's fair enough it must be a wonderful moment yeah really oh it's incredible it's absolutely incredible final call on the line actually Um, it's Rog (laughs) say hello to Rog hey Rog how's it going Munch yeah, not too bad, man. Not too bad. How are you going? No, still on the foreign shores. Yeah, doing okay. Yeah, sorry. There's a bit of a delay on the line here <laughs> in Rochelle. Listen, it's great to be listening into you on the podcast there. Um, come here. Nobody hates England more than I do. <laughs> Correct. Why aren't you picking me at number 10, you fucking bollocks? <laughs> In that Legends game. <laughs> he, uh, you were asked if you remember several I times. I don't remember. I didn't yeah, get the memo. But I think the, the face was too precious at the time. I think you were doing a lot of TV just work. Just because I'm pretty. Yeah? yeah? No. You were just precious about it. <laughs> well, I want to play against those English bastards, okay, next year. Okay. You'd be perfectly welcome. Tell Delalio to turn up as well. I'll fucking break him. <laughs> that I would love to see. I think everybody would like with to see With your help, that. Munch. With your help. No bother. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Good luck. It's a very difficult delay on that line. Isn't it? It's yeah, very, annoying. Yeah, yeah. very annoying. Shane, really, really enjoyed talking to you. No Thank worries, you man. so much. Take care. And that's it from Shane and from me. See you same time, same place next week. I'm on tour at the moment. Come and see me on tour. Ticketmaster.ie if you want to get the last few tickets that are remaining. And a very happy Patrick's Day to all of you.